Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. For that one. Man, it, it, that was incredible. I, I know for me, um, kids ministry becomes so much more important when you have kids. Like for me, I, it, like something changed when I became a dad where it goes from being kind of daycare during Sunday to realizing, man, I'm desperate for someone to pour into my kids. Like I'm desperate for somebody to help me raise them to love Jesus and help me uh, to raise them uh, to follow God. And so thank you. Let's give it one more time for the kids ministry, the team. What an amazing job they did this week and, and do on an ongoing basis. I know our family uh, is greatly blessed by our kids ministry. Uh, my name is Bryson, um, and, and you uh, might be able to say, I have this on you. Like, he's not just going to do the connect card? Yeah, I, I, they actually trust me with the, the fancy mic uh, this time, because I'm just honored to bring the word. But speaking of kids, I want to show you my family, uh, because there's new addition. We kind of recently went to 2.0 uh, in the kid department. And so let's, uh, let's check out, I want to show you my amazing family, uh, all of them are coming up on the screen here in just a moment, I'm sure. Uh, but my wife's name is Rachel, and she's amazing. She is killing the bomb of two game. You have our eldest is Olivia. She is 20 months, and so she's getting, we're just a couple months away from where you stop saying months. And 20 months, she's amazing. She's a little ball of not only joy, but energy as well. Uh, and so we're thankful for her. And then the recent addition is Ogden. And so he is now two months old here in just a couple days. Uh, and so that's him when he was just about 10 days old. We are spoiled, my wife being a photographer, uh, that we have amazing family photos. Uh, of our entire life, and so I'm thankful for that. But we're thankful for our kids' ministry, pouring into our kids and our, our families and helping them not only love God, but discover the purpose of God on their life. And when I think about that simple word, purpose, it really is something that's in all of us. Like, we all have this uh, inner desire, this craving, rather, a need for purpose in our lives. And so I think about in 2006, there was a guy named Blake. He went on the amazing race, and when he came back from his travels, he had seen some things and realized he might be able to make a positive change, and so he started selling shoes, and they weren't incredible shoes. They were canvas and styrofoam, and he was able to make them for about $9 for two pairs and sell them for about $50 to $150, but something was special about these shoes. And I'm sure you, if you, you know, were around in, you know, sometime between 2006 and 2019 when it switched ownership, uh, the company Tom's, in, in, like, introduced to uh, what's now so common, this one-for-one -one model, where for every pair of shoes you bought, it would give a, a pair of shoes to someone who was in need. And so all of a sudden, you're not just buying shoes. 
you're a part of something bigger. And so it spreads like wildfire because as we contribute to this thing, we're not just buying these pieces of canvas and styrofoam. We're part of something bigger and we feel like we have a piece of purpose that we can purchase for just $50. And it gives us not only a shoe that's of average quality, but it gives us this feeling like we're making a positive difference because we need purpose to survive. It's something in all of us, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person who's had a moment where you go, what am I put on this planet to do? Actually, I would say I'm in the vast majority of people who have had that moment who said, what am I put on this planet to do? I'm sure you have as well, but sometimes when it comes to our purpose, it feels like we've been given all of the pieces to build some Ikea furniture with no instructions. Like, I don't know if you've ever uh, built something from Ikea. Uh, You know, if you're in the wrong section, it's in another language. And it just feels like even the right section is in another language because you have all these bolts and you have uh, these pieces of wood or cushion or whatever you're building. And somehow you see pieces and in your mind you see something greater, but in front of you, you just see pieces. And when we think about our purpose so often, it feels like we have a lot of pieces and no instructions. That here, something we might feel like was an idea or uh, even if you want to call it a calling or, or something like that is so far from being reality. And maybe you are in this situation and you feel like this desperate need for a purpose on your life, but meanwhile, you're scrolling through everybody else living theirs. And you're thinking, there's another person who got married while I'm waiting for my spouse. And another person who got the job while I'm waiting for my promotion. There's another person who started their business when I haven't even got off the couch. There's another person who's making moves and I don't even know where to start. And talk about adding insult to injury when we start reading the Bible, right? Uh, We already felt bad about ourselves that we're not doing what we feel like we're supposed to be doing. Then you crack open the Bible and you see a bunch of people who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you're like, man, I thought I was a bad Christian then. Look at the book of Acts. I mean, healing people, preaching the gospel, all of this stuff. And you look, like, uh, you look at somebody like Peter, who's preaching the gospel. People are being healed. You look at someone like Stephen, who's the first person who gives his life for the cause of Christianity. You look at someone like Paul, who plays kind of a, a leading role throughout the book of Acts. And you go, hey, I could never do that. And we look at the big things that they do. And we see how far we so often fall from being a person that could be described like that. But I think, I think if we look at scripture, we can actually see some clues and some cues uh, on some pivotal moments that kind of launched a person like Paul, we're going to look at specifically today, into his destiny that weren't actually that grandiose. We're going to look in Acts 13, verse 1, and we're only going to read till verse 3. Acts 13, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Lord, bless the hearing and the preaching of your word. God, would we walk out of this room and uh, as we log off online, God, would we not be the same because we've encountered Jesus? Lord, would you change our perspective today so we can live for you in a greater way? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So in this room, in this church in Antioch, this is uh, just a side note. I think this probably just says, great things happen in the 37013. Come on, Antioch, right? (laughs) Ten of you. Antioch. (laughs) Good things happen in Antioch. But here they are in the church in Antioch, and a different Antioch, um, but there's this prayer meeting, right? And they have some prophets, some teachers, and it seems like out of nowhere, uh, they're having this prayer moment, and the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me Saul and Barnabas. And if there's sort of this like, oh, who's Saul, Paul, what's his name? Uh, you know, it was common back then to have two names, and so Saul is his Hebrew or Jewish name, and then Paul is his Roman name, and so when you hear Saul or Paul, it's not like he was Saul, and con- you know, when he was converted to into Paul. No, he has two names. And and so when it says Saul, Paul, interchangeable. And so here he says, the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul. And and one of the first things I think about is if we could just have that, everything would be so much easier, right? We're on this search for purpose, search for our destiny. And if we could just have a prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit says, Joe, I got you, here's your plan, go for it. It's like, thank God. Now, it doesn't always look like that for for most of us. Um, If we could just have that, and it makes me think as we look at it, if I'm the Holy Spirit, why would I pick these two guys? Like they're among prophets and teachers, and so people of, you know, their, their credentials are, are at least decent. There's Simeon called Niger, and Niger was a pretty notable last name. He was somebody uh, who had a, a level of status. Uh, his Instagram followers were at least above 10K. You have Maneo, uh, who is brought up with Herod. Now, Herod, a little bit of a shady guy, but he has connections to a high political authority but he doesn't go for them. I, I know that our, you know, our strategy would be go for the influencers. He goes for Saul, who has limited uh, ministry experience and a, a little bit of a uh, darker past, as we'll see in a moment. And Barnabas, who, uh, again, has proved himself to be a, a good Christian, but not necessarily a somebody. And I think... If we look back through the rest of the book of Acts, we can see some clues. I I think I say it every time I preach. It's easy to get conned by a text with no context. That everything happens within a context. And so when we look at it as an isolated event, as we look at Acts 13, if it was simply this prayer meeting and then the rest of the book of Acts, it would seem like we need that huge moment because we want the Mufasa moment, right? We want the moment where we're praying and then the clouds roll in and and the Holy Spirit speaks with a thundering voice that happens to sound like Morgan Freeman. You have uh, the the Holy Spirit so clear and saying, this is your purpose. And it looks almost like that if you just look at Acts 13. But the clues are often found in the context that the story doesn't start in Acts 13. 
If you go back, you see that there's a lot more to the story than just Acts 13. You see just a drive-by of Paul and Barnabas in the story of Acts. We're introduced in Acts 4 to Barnabas where he's selling property to give to the good of the rest of the disciples. On the other hand, we're introduced in Acts 7 to Saul who's holding coats for people as they stone Stephen. So a little bit of a different trajectory, but here in Acts 9, Saul has a conversion experience and uh, Ananias helps Saul, uh, kind of cleans him up, disciples him, uh, and walks him through the foundations of the faith. And something happens in Acts 9 where this happens uh, to just a few verses later where Saul, who's freshly saved and a little bit of disciple, starts to do some ministry and the rest of the disciples are like, hey, hey, you remember this guy was like killing Christians and stuff, right? Well, it's Barnabas who comes and defends Saul. So there's some relationship where he says, hey, no, 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 he's legit, he's with me. So they do some ministry together and just a few chapters later in Acts 11, Barnabas was sent to Antioch to see what was happening. God was clearly doing something and what goes across his mind is, I know who needs to be here. It's Saul. And so he walks a hundred miles from Antioch to Tarsus to find Saul and say, hey, God's doing something to Antioch. I think you want to be in on it. So they together walk a hundred miles back to Antioch. They do ministry together for a year or more. And then there's a need in Jerusalem financially. And the church at Antioch says, uh, okay, we need someone to run this money down there. 300 miles, mind you. Uh, and so who's it going to be? Eeny, meeny, miny, Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul and Barnabas get sent on this 300 mile errand all the way back to Jerusalem for a few chapters. And then in Acts 12, they come back and they return from Jerusalem. And then we have the prayer meeting. So if we have, if we look at it from here over, it looks like a magical moment where the clouds part and Mufasa starts speaking. But it's not. It's not. We all want the Mufasa moment. So I want to read this just one more time. We're going to start one verse earlier than we did. uh, And let's just see how this changes how we read it just for a second. Acts 12, 25 through 13, 3. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. When we read it again in context, I see two big things. The first thing is that there was a lot of small yeses that led up to this prayer meeting. That there was a lot of small yeses that led up to this moment. And I think following Jesus is a lot of saying yes to what's right in front of us. We we, we feel like we're waiting for the moment of destiny, but God has a moment of destiny in front of you today. Like, 
you have an option to say yes to what's right in front of you today. It's not about waiting for you to finally write that book or launch that podcast or start that business. It's not about waiting for the Ikea furniture to be put together. It's looking at the pieces and saying, God, I think this is a piece of my purpose. That you have an opportunity to follow Jesus today. And actually, here's a little hint. I don't know, I'm not, this is just a side note. I'm not drawing something from scripture that's not there, but just from life experience. If you want God to ask you to do something really big, say yes when he asks you to do something really small. If you want God to ask you to do something really big, say yes when he asks you to do something really small. Say yes when you want to go off on your kid, but God says, hold on, hold on, show mercy, not justice. Say yes when you see the person who's in need or, or, or homeless, and God says, hey, that's your burden to carry. Go give him some finances. Say yes when you have that situation at work, when uh, you feel God asking you to, to pray for a coworker, say something about Jesus. Say yes to something small and God's gonna ask you to do something big. The first thing I see is that there's a lot of small yeses that lead up to this prayer meeting. And the second thing I see is that it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't this prayer meeting where the synth pad was low under the speaker. There was the fog machine playing. The lights were just right. And he said, who, who, who is God saying? Who's God saying? You and you. No, it, it, it wasn't the Mufasa moment. When you look at how it was written, and not only had they spent 700 miles of walking together, and that'll build a friendship, they spent years together doing ministry. We want the Mufasa moment, but this isn't it. It's written in a way that uh, when it says the Holy Spirit spoke, it was most likely through one of these prophets that was there. It wasn't the clouds opening and Morgan Freeman speaking. It was a prophet, just like we saw Pastor Bruce say, I feel like God is saying this, and I want to share it with you. It was people praying together. And God calls out two people who came together. It makes me think of uh, if you ever, uh, you know, are in a lightning storm, you know, the place you avoid is something that's really tall and metal. You want to, like, stay away from those because lightning is attracted to things that are tall and metal. So someone came out uh, with the bright idea of let's just create things that are intentionally tall and metal to uh, not only keep people safe, but, you know, harness the power of, of lightning. Things like that called a lightning rod. And so lightning rods intentionally attract the power of, of lightning. And I believe that togetherness is like a lightning rod to the presence and power of God. That when we're together, and that's what this series is all about, being present with one another, it's like a lightning rod for the presence and power of God. If you want to start seeing God move, get your people and start doing life together. Go to their kid's birthday party. Go to their barbecue. Show up uh, when they need you. Show up when uh, they lose a loved one. Show up uh, when they're in a situation of need. Show up, and God will too. So when I look at these defining moments in the life of Paul and the defining moments of anyone that uh, you might say is living a life of destiny or of purpose, I notice a common denominator, and that common denominator 
is people. Here you have in Acts 9, Saul's converted and he needs Ananias. God sends Ananias to help him. It's a person. Here, Paul is almost kicked out of the disciples because of his shady past, and he says, God sends a person to defend him. Then here, in Acts 11, uh, he's, he's Tarsus, it's not super clear what he's doing in Tarsus, but uh, God sends a person with a ministry opportunity for him. And then uh, here, uh, there's these small missions, and God sends a person to go with him. And this kind of draws me to a, a, a thought that I really, if you have notes, uh, I, I normally don't say write stuff down. It's not like, you know, that's a little flexy, I think. But it, here's, here's what I think. To fulfill the purpose of God on your life, you need the people of God in your life. To fulfill the purpose of God on your life, you need the people of God in your life. To fulfill the purpose of God on your life, you need the people of God in your life. Because you look at this story, you look at Paul being launched into his destiny, as you would say, the rest of Acts, you can uh, read it in just a few days uh, time, and and it's really incredible the things that Paul does, and and he does it with people, but uh, you see in his formative years as a Christian, he's brought in by Ananias, brought up by Barnabas, and sent out by the prayer meeting in Ananias. Antioch. He's brought in by Ananias. He's brought up by Barnabas and sent out from Antioch. The, The people of God, when you spend time with people, the people of God specifically, they bring you in, clean you up. They call you up to something greater and they send you out to be like Jesus. And then when things go on, you know, life gets hard, they bring you in they call you up and they send you out. And then, again, they bring you in, they call you up, and they send you out. We see it over and over and over to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. You need the people of God in your life. So do stuff together. This doesn't need to be this uh, Mufasa moment. This needs to be, hey, you wanna get lunch together? Hey, you wanna come over? Let's hang out, let's, let's do stuff, let's pray together, go bowling, like do something. I am um, an average to below average bowler. I like no, nothing to write home about, unless you're writing home about a guy you beat at bowling. Um, I, I'm really not great, but I, Something that ensures my success most of the time is when you put the bumpers on. You know, when you like put the, don't judge, you've done it. I know you've done it. Everyone's acting like they've never used the bumpers. But I think about the story of Paul, and when I think about my own story, it's a lot less like rolling a perfect strike as much as it's bowling with bumpers on. And when you put people in your life that are helping you follow your purpose, launching you into your destiny, bringing you in, calling you up, sending you out. It's like bowling with bumpers on. I think about my story, and I got to Nashville. I grew up in the church, and when I got to Nashville, I just started serving in youth. Nothing spectacular. I just started serving as an eighth grade guy's small group leader, helped a little bit in worship, and, and it just, I, I just showed up because I figured that was what you're supposed to do, and it was next to another volunteer, Watson Kassan, who he was the first person to say, hey, you know, you're called to be a pastor. 
And he wasn't, uh, I didn't seek ministry from him. He just said, I feel like God wanted me to share that with you. And so it was with Brian Mandel who let me take on some more leadership in youth and volunteer at a higher level. And then a few years later, it was Ernie Kruger who got me a part-time job here at Bethel helping him. Then uh, I I got a full-time job under Corey Bendix as I grew uh, as a a leader in uh, in youth and became the youth pastor. And then it was Pastor James and other pastors on our staff who gave me another elevator level of leadership, it was just simply the art of showing up. I didn't have the Mufasa moment. I didn't have the Every Nation Campus Conference moments where they say, who's called to be in ministry? And I'm crying my eyes out and I'm saying, send me, Lord. No, I just showed up. I just showed up and said, hey, you need someone to stack chairs? Okay. You need someone to lead a small group of eighth graders? Okay. And It was a series of yeses that led to what I would call living out a purpose. And God's put something in front of you to say yes to, but it's not so uh, difficult where it's like bowling a strike. It's like bowling with bumpers on. Find your people, put your bumpers on. Like, just keep showing up. And as we conclude, it's a preacher's last words right there. A lot of people think that your purpose is determined by your why. And I don't think that the purpose of your life is found in why, I think it's found in who. Who do you live for and who do you live with? Because when you find your people, you find your purpose. And if we feel like we can fulfill our purpose outside of God's people, we're mistaken. You cannot fulfill the purpose of God on your life without the people of God in your life. You can't, you can't, you can't. And I think about this moment and I think about as we're sort of forced to make a decision and we have to really think about what kind of Christianity we live. Because I'm really comfortable with a Christianity that requires very little of me. I'm very comfortable with a Christianity that involves me showing up on a Sunday, involves me tithing maybe, involves me buying toms, involves me supporting Christian-owned businesses and calling it good, but I don't think that's what God's calling us into. What if Christianity wasn't a checklist, but it was an adventure? Like, that God isn't asking you, like, they do some really cool stuff in Acts, but God's not asking you to do more stuff. Like, if you walk out of, of a, a moment like this or, or, you know, listening to a podcast, hearing a sermon, and you feel like, man, there's some more stuff on my plate. Man, I feel a little bit heavier. Man, I feel like here's more stuff I got to do. Then it, it, uh, get that off of you. Because God's not asking you to do more stuff. He's calling you into a beautiful adventure with him. And in adventure, is there risk? Yes. Is there hard stuff? Yes but it's worth it. And when you find your people, you find your purpose. And when we make Christianity deduced down to just going to heaven when you die and doing stuff on earth, I think we miss the point. Because 
Jesus doesn't just give us a better way to die, he gives us a better way to live as well. He models in his life, doing life with people to accomplish his mission. God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is community in himself. I love that in in Genesis, where God is before the fall, introducing the perfect plan, he has Adam and then he says what? It's not good for man to be alone. And you could draw conclusions about marriage or, 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 or whatever from that, but I think at its core, a person needs another person to fulfill the purpose of God. And so here's the point in most sermons where you're supposed to think really big, thinking about what if, and what if, just what if our church lived like this? What if we weren't just people who sat next to each other? This is a part in sermons where uh, you're supposed to think really big, but instead I want you to think really small. What's the thing that God's asking you to say yes to today? What's the small yes that's gonna lead you to a big yes? What's the bolt in the Ikea furniture? What's the the wood or the the peg? What's the thing that God's asking you to say yes to today? Because your little yes today is gonna lead to a big yes one day. But we need to be comfortable that our purpose comes in pieces and there's some assembly required. What's the small yes that you need to give to God today? Secondly, The question shouldn't be what you're called to do or why you're called to do it. It should be who you're called to do it with. Who are you called to walk with? Let's not think big, let's think small. Who's the person you need to text today? Who's the person you need to invite out to lunch today? Who's the person that you need to find time to be intentional with today? Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence. God, we we thank you for an opportunity to celebrate everything you've done this week at VBS. God, everything you're doing in our midst. And God, we thank you for the message of Jesus that our, our kids even told us that the gospel, the good news, is that you became a man in Christ Jesus. That you lived the life that we should have lived and you died the death that we should have died in our place. And three days later, when you rose again, you proved not only that you are the son of God, but you offered us forgiveness of sins if we would just repent and believe in you. And it's because of that that we can be unified. It's because of that that we can not only be connected to one another, but we can draw other people into the beautiful family of God and the adventure that Jesus calls us on. So God, right now, help us think small. Help us think about and help us see and hear from you what you're asking us to say yes to today.
who we're supposed to call today. Who we're supposed to reach out to today, God, and who we're supposed to pray for and pray with today. God, thank you that you've given us people in our lives to help us decipher the purpose for our lives. God, we pray right now for the connectors, for the life group leaders, God, for the people, uh, the disciple makers, God, uh, that you would uh, give an increased capacity to love people, disciple them, lead them to Jesus. God, we pray for the people who need to be uh, in a life group, in a discipleship group. Uh, Lord, helped guide along uh, this journey of life. God, we pray right now that you'd give strength and the ability to connect. God, we thank you for what you've done here in this place, God. And we say we'll be people who think small and say yes. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.